All right, let's talk about a familiar scenario, a relationship that's steady as a rock, but in the bedroom, the vibes are, well, not as vibrant as they used to be. We've all heard the story, our relationship is good, it's comfortable, but the spark, well, it took a vacation long ago. Is it possible to revitalize eroticism and passion in your relationship? And if it's possible, where would we even begin? This is the subject of today's spicy episode. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Did you know the average couple waits six years to get help in their marriage? Yeah, that's six years of pain, hurt, and frustration. Hi there, I'm Charla Snow. And I'm Robert Snow. And welcome to Master Your Marriage. Where we believe that having an amazing marriage should never feel like hard work and shouldn't be a guessing game. This is the show for married couples who want to discover a scientifically proven approach to building a masterful marriage and have fun while doing it. So if that's you, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. So this is gonna be a good episode. It's actually going to be part two to last week's episode. Last week, we dove into 11 myths that really harm sexuality in relationships. Yep. And so it only seemed right that we follow that with a conversation about eroticism. Eroticism? Mm -hmm. What does that word even mean? <laughs> and is eroticism even a realistic goal in a long-term relationship? I'm just waiting for what eroticism means. Well, we're going to cover that. Okay, we're going to cover that. Great. Yes. All right. So... Um, oftentimes we hear from couples that the relationship is steady and safe, but it's just not exciting um, or erotic or even passionate. I might have answered my own question. I think you just did. Yeah. So some couples report that sex is just sort of this tried and true recipe and that sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's barely worth having. That's hard to believe. Um, there's this common belief among many people that uh, this is just what happens in long-term relationships. Right. But is that even actually true? I don't know. I'm just sort of incredulous. Here's the deal. Okay. okay. If sex has become boring or absent, it's not actually the relationship's fault. It's also not your partner's fault. And it doesn't need to be true for you. In fact, we think that this could be put into the same category as all of the other myths that we talked about last week. But remember... What you believe about your marriage is your marriage. So if you believe that eroticism always dies after some period of time, then it probably will. But if you believe, as we believe, that it's a choice that you could have passionate sex for many decades to come. Then you can. Then you can. Yeah. But so many relationships have been destroyed by this myth that long-term eroticism isn't possible. Many individuals think that a fresh start with someone new is the answer. Oh, no. So they throw away all that is good and right with the partner that they have and seek of something else. Some couples have even tried turning to polyamory as a solution. Well, let's be real that if you continue to believe that long-term passion is a fallacy, then you're never going to be satisfied in a long-term relationship. Jumping into a new bed to fulfill this part of you is not really a sustainable solution. You can't keep hitting the reset button on your relationships. No, you can't. But the good news is that we've learned that you don't need the roller coaster of a new relationship in order to keep your passion alive. Absolutely not. You can stir up that fire from within. And when we say within, that's exactly where you need to work. 
I remember. I remember. I remember when you changed a little bit in this category. Okay. So should we? Yeah. Should we talk about that story? Let's let's talk about that story. So okay. So earlier on in our marriage, I was definitely the lower desire partner for that early part of our relationship. Um, and we've talked about this on past episodes. I had some insecurities and some anxieties around sex. And I was worried about whether my body was good enough, if I was good enough, or if things were normal, if I looked normal. And I think this is something that, you know, maybe we don't talk about enough, but I think a lot of women compare their bodies to what they see maybe in TV or in magazines or maybe even in porn or in biology books. And so, you know, it actually wasn't until years later that I heard someone say, you know, you know, that all vulvas actually look different, right? That most of them aren't all pretty and tucked in and symmetrical like they are in the biology books, right? In fact, just a fun side note, a lot of porn videos, they actually use whatever editing they have to make things look a certain way down there, right? So I think there is a lot of insecurities that women have about whether they're enough, whether they look enough. And there was a time early in our relationship where I kind of felt from time to time sort of sexually dead. And I tried different things to boost my libido, thinking there was something wrong with me. And it wasn't that we weren't having sex. We were. Pretty, oh, yeah. We were having sex. Pretty regularly. It yeah. just wasn't the priority for me. I didn't make it a priority for me. Right. Right. And so yeah. anyway, fast forward to when I started doing my NLP certification trainings. Um, the reason why I did those trainings, like my master practitioner training, it had nothing to do with sex, by the way. It, but while I was there, part of the process and learning these techniques that I would be using on clients in the future, I had to do those techniques on myself. Right. So that was things like, you know, doing a history and figuring out where a lot of my limiting beliefs were and figuring out what the negative emotions were in certain contexts of my life and sort of identifying these um, places where I was underdeveloped and where I had blocks. And so anyway, I went through these processes. And when I came back from that training, I remember a lot of things were different. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but it had been six weeks as well. Okay, but that's true. And, and it yeah. wasn't just like the first couple of days when I got no. home. Things started to really look different right. in our sexual relationship after letting go of a lot of those insecurities. You know, when I stopped holding back and maybe embraced more of my femininity, my my creativity and let go of a lot of these limiting beliefs, well, guess what happened? It opened up not just possibilities in my work, in my business, but it also opened up possibilities within the bedroom, which is really fascinating to me because, right, we know that the brain has a lot to do with, and, and, our, and our anxiety and our mind has a lot to do with how we perform in the bedroom. So it was just interesting to see that in myself. Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting part of that is, is as you change, so your belief system um, around being enough yeah about around being enough right and it didn't matter how many times i told you that you were enough right right <clears throat> you just have to you have to believe that but you know the reason you went was not really for the bedroom no right but as you changed your mindset and as you changed the way you saw yourself and the way that you interacted with your own world the benefits the, were the benefits were also felt in the bedroom right in all say. in all areas <clears throat> in my life right 
Yeah. So what is the secret for keeping this heat in our long-term relationship? Well, as we mentioned, it's about coming alive within yourself first. But before you can come alive in the bedroom, you have to come alive within yourself. But how? The answer is likely a little bit different for everyone, but the good news is you already have the answer within you. Um, you just have to tap into it. So we're going to discuss four ways that you can come alive within yourself. Ooh, four ways to come alive. All right. So number one is going to be to let go of resentment. Oh, that 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 kills everything, doesn't it? Oh, man, yeah. that's a tough one. And, you know, several of my clients are not having sex with their partner because of this, because of resentment. And usually after a f the first few sessions of digging through the stories and figuring out what's going on, it's often due to resentment rather than what most people will say is, oh, I just have a low libido. Resentment has this um, interesting secretive quality to it that usually is attached to kind of like revenge or punishment. So one of the byproducts of resentment can be actually having people fantasize about revenge or getting even with their partner. Yeah, it's so weird to me. Yeah. Well, it's it's not it's not really an emotion you usually play with. Like I don't see you using resentment very much. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And, right. and that's why it's different for everybody, right? right? But and I'm always surprised when we hear about these couples that they're just who just want to kind of get back at their partner for right. this or for that. But those are our emotions, right? And it's important to remember that we are not our emotions. And it's important for us to look at that resentment and notice how it not only hurts us internally, right? But it also keeps you and your relationships stuck. Yeah. So resentment is often sort of rooted in this feeling of being overpowered, right? Of being over. Over, somebody's being overbearing in this situation. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's common for resentment to come out of this feeling of being powerless or being controlled or being subjugated. And a person might feel like their autonomy is being threatened. In a way, it's, it's a coping strategy. And when this person feels this way, they often end up depriving their partner of sexual interaction. And as a way to sort of feel in control with themselves or to at least feel like they're controlling something. Exactly. It's usually a, a con where they have felt like they've lost their autonomy. Right. That's where a lot of that and, and, and a lot of that has to do with the, the fact that they're not speaking up about their needs. And so resentment sets in. Yes, absolutely. But, We're going to talk about that, I think. Yeah but, yeah. but resentment comes with a dark side. Yeah. It comes with a really dark side. It doesn't just hurt your partner. Resentment suppresses the production of oxytocin, which is, as we all know, the love hormone. Love hormone. And it increases the release of cortisol. So you already probably know that high levels of cortisol isn't good, can be toxic for the body. And high levels of cortisol have been linked to fatigue, irritability, headaches. It's been linked to anxiety and depression. And yes, also to sexual problems like low libido and erectile dysfunction. Oh, man. So, you know, it's interesting because sex is an act of surrender. So what better way to hurt the person that you perceive as who's hurt you than by not surrendering your body? Oh, man. You know, right? think about that. What better way to hurt this person than not surrendering your body? But in the process, who really gets hurt? I remember the story. I forget, I forget who it was, but um, 
it was it was probably just one of these online therapists and I might have listened to the podcast and and she was talking about I was a female therapist talking to um just women in general and she says, you know, when you're mad at your partner and you're withholding sex, you know, you're really only hurting yourself. Like what why do you want to skip the pleasure that you're having in the situation just because you're you're mad at, at your partner? At the end of the day, you're hurting both of you and you're probably hurting your relationship as well. Yeah, but that's too logical. I don't think we we sit with it enough to even realize usually what we're doing. We're just acting out of hurt. Like I feel hurt, so I hurt you. It's just right. like a an automatic response. Hurt people hurt people. Right. Yeah. Resentment um, also is this really vicious cycle and it takes a little bit to break out of it. It actually takes some in you got to look in the mirror and you have to confront yourself, mm -hmm. um, which is which is hard. But by acknowledging the source of this resentment to yourself, like really examining it, examining it and, you know, acknowledging it to your partner, you can start to let it go. Yeah. You'll also want to look at where you feel like you've been overpowered because you've likely not been speaking up about your needs and wants and your wants may not have been met. Right. Um, so maybe consider dialoguing with your partner about what your needs are and about how they can be met or fulfilled. Yeah, that's so important. I see that so much where the resentment is really the result of of just not speaking up. And yeah. and once you learn to use your voice and let go of those resentments, you know, it starts to get easier to just let go. So, another couple things that help with resentment is exercise. You know, anytime we move our body, it helps to change our state. I think breathing exercises also can be a really good way to get out of those stuck patterns. And also meditation has also been shown to be really helpful in reducing resentment. Um, the last thing that I know helps with resentment is appreciation. Yes, absolutely. Right? Because appreciation, as we've talked about before, changes the habit of mind. It's it helps us to, instead of looking for everything that our partner is doing wrong and what's wrong in our relationship, we start to notice what's good. So just start, if you've been in a state of resentment, just start noticing more about whatever is positive in your life, um, because that's going to tremendously help you in letting go of resentment. All right. So that was the first thing we talked about and becoming alive is letting go of resentment. What's What's the next thing? So letting go of your anxieties, mm -hmm. which is really super important. And we talked about this sort of on our last episode. So it turns out that sexual pleasure is really just this mirror of reflecting on our state of mind. In fact, your mind is your largest sex organ. So what you do in your mind has everything to do with what you do in your body. Mm. And we talked last week about how anxiety manifests itself differently for both men and for women. Women can struggle to, to orgasm where men actually might have performance issues and orgasm more quickly. But make no mistake when it comes to this, anxiety can spell disaster in the bedroom. Yeah, yeah. So here's something interesting. We talk a lot about Dr. David Schnarch here on the podcast and his work. And in his book, The Passionate Marriage, which I love that book, um, he says something really interesting. He says, sex is leftovers. And I know I became immediately intrigued by what, what did he mean by yeah, that? Yeah, what are leftovers? Leftovers. Yeah, that, that sounds lame. And what he meant was that couples only have sex up to the level of their maturity. So 
here's what happens, right? When the couples get together, they essentially agree whether they're actually verbally agreeing or not. Yeah, it could be a tacit agreement like, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't do this, right? But they essentially agree to what they're willing to do sexually. So partner A might suggest certain positions or concepts, ideas to which partner B gets to to decide, oh, no, no, not not that. That's dirty. That's nasty. I'm not going to do that. And then partner B gets to propose their ideas to which partner A gets to decide what's dirty and nasty. And then what you have left over on the table is this buffet of leftovers. Buffet of leftovers. Mm-hmm. Well, so here's the deal. At one point in your life, everything, you know, especially when you're younger, was dirty and nasty and gross. Like kissing was gross. Mm-hmm. And you remember the first time you saw someone French kissing and you thought, oh, I'm never going to do that. (laughs) But then you end up kind of calming your stress about it and trying it anyway. And truth be told, the more comfortable we become in our own skin with our own bodies, the more willing we are to try new positions, new things, new locations, fantasies, toys, or props. But every time we think about adding new options to the buffet, there's going to be some anxiety about this. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because we're like, as we up-level in our sexuality, there it always starts with some anxiety. Well, because these things were either on the, I didn't think you wanted it, or I didn't Never I thought wanted I was going to do that. Yeah. Never said I was, I said I was never going to French kiss. Yeah. <laughs> right? And unless you're able to self-soothe and calm your own heart and, and manage your own anxieties, and here's the key part, not freak out about your partner's suggestion, um, unless we're able to do that, you're going to have a hard time keeping this newly found eroticism alive in your relationship. Oh, so true, right? If you don't, then it's going to just be the same old, same old, same old for your entire life. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so that was two. So number three, the third way to come alive is to let go of insecurities and self-doubt. Yep. And you know, we all recognize that sex is this vulnerable act. And understandably, because it is, we can have a lot of insecurities and limiting beliefs surface when our clothes come off, like I shared in the beginning with that story. Yes. And often we rely on our partner rather than ourselves to prop us up, to praise us, to give us lots of approval, to give us a lot of validation when we're feeling insecure. But when your need for your partner to do that, right, when your need for your partner is higher than your love for your partner, then you're never going to be affirmed enough. There's never going to be enough validation in the world. And your partner will never be able to prop you up enough. Um, And when your sense of self deflates, so are your ability to be fully alive. So to unleash your eroticism, you have to get right with yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to let go of these limiting beliefs, as Charlotte did, and know that you're enough um, without getting validation from others. And when you do, you'll find yourself at more peace with yourself. And that almost always translates to becoming someone who prioritizes their own pleasure. Yeah. And sex just gets better, right? Yeah. How All right. About that? So lastly, and so number four, so we talked about three things so far that help to help us to come alive. The fourth thing is to really just educate yourself. And that's why we did last week's episode, right? So let's talk about the sex education elephant in the room. Okay. Okay. As, as sex positive, as I think our culture has become and, and as more, 
you know, open we are and and talking about it, I think we're still playing catch up because evidence shows there's still a massive orgasm gap. In one study of like 50,000 people, 95% of heterosexual men said they usually or always orgasm during sexual intimacy, whereas only 65% of heterosexual women said the same. So that's a big gap. Yeah, that's that's you think we're coming farther along than we are in that, right? Yeah. Yeah, you would assume. Now, based on that information, you might just assume that that women or vulvas are inferior to the penis. Um, but if you remember last week's episode, we kind of squashed that myth. In fact, studies show that women can orgasm more alone than they do with their partner. In fact, that number is at least 92%. Yeah, no, think about that. So it's not that they're inferior or that they aren't able to or that they don't have the capacity because when they're alone, they can orgasm at the same rate as men. But when they're in partnered sex, there's the gap. It's that whole anxiety and I would assume body image and and whatever else, right? Yeah. Are there some are there some reasons for this? Yeah, let's let's talk about a few. Okay. Okay. So why is there still this orgasm gap in partnered sex? So we'll give you five good reasons. Okay. First is that women are not getting, most likely still not getting enough clitoral stimulation in partnered sex because of one of the myths we talked about last week, which is that it's all about intercourse and there's not enough focus being put on, you know, warm up and moving from arousal to desire and really giving her time to warm up. What did you say? It's like a diesel. Uh, you call me a diesel engine. A diesel engine, yeah. Once uh, it takes a minute to warm up, but once it gets going, it's powerful and yeah. strong. I'm a diesel engine. He yeah. says diesel yeah. engine. Yep. Right. Um, secondly, there's still the unfortunate fact that there's still a mystery about female pleasure. Again, I really suggest you go back to our last week's episode if you missed it, the eleven sexuality myths, and listen to that there because that's that's really important. Number three, I think that this gap is also because, you know, many women don't really know their bodies because there's still this major stigma around any kind of self-pleasure or self-discovery. And if she isn't aware of how her body works, and again, we go back to this like whole education thing, if she isn't aware of what it takes and we'll talk about some suggestions for this in a minute, then how is she going to communicate to her partner what feels good? Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely the truth. If if you don't know what feels good, um, then it's just this fleeting moment in time when you're like, oh, that felt good. Oh, wait, no, it went away. And, and I don't know how to tell you what that was. You don't know how to tell me what that was or even tell me where to go. Right. Yeah. So what are a couple more reasons why we have this orgasm? Um, I'd say couples, and this was difficult for me as well, like couples don't talk enough about sex. Right. Um. So that's that's interesting because it's important to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's not that hard. It's the thing that you're doing together. Um, And, you know, oddly enough, couples that talk about sex actually have better sex. They have more sex. Yeah. Just by talking about it. Yeah. The other one that we've talked about several times really is anxiety and insecurities during partner sex. Um, If you have anxiety or insecurities, it can cause women to have um, orgasm issues and men can have the same performance issues that we talked about with anxiety as well. Right. So those are five reasons why we think there's still this big chasm um, between men and women and when it comes to orgasm. It isn't capacity. It's these things that we're talking about today. It's not ability for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And if it was about, like we said earlier, if it was about inferiority 
of the female body, then they would still struggle to orgasm when they were alone. But that's not the case. So it's more to do with what's in the mind and the nervous system and our ability to understand our bodies and to communicate our sexual needs to our partner. It reminds me, uh, somebody will probably just tell us what the movie was. I remember what, there was some movie and I think the girls were talking and, and, you know, I think a bunch of married women or something. And they said, uh, like, oh, haven't you, you know, have you ever had an orgasm or, and the girl got really sheepish and she said, well, not with anyone else in the room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not with anyone else in the room. Yeah. All right. All so. right. So let's wrap up with a few specific ideas for being able to increase your eroticism in your own relationship. All right. So here's a couple of tips before we wrap up. First, talk more about sex with your partner a lot, lot more. It's not that difficult. It really isn't. Like yeah. this is the person you love and trust and you're committed to. So normalize saying sexy things to each other, talking about things, sending steamy texts to each other and just be more open Really, that's the key. Be more open in discussing sex with each other because talking about it in and of itself is erotic. Talking about it causes arousal. And this this is why couples that talk more about sex have better sex. Yeah. So let's let's talk about communication. Um, we have to get better about asking our partner what they like, um, sharing what feels good to us, what feels good to them. Um, to do that, you have to calm your own anxieties and your own insecurities because it's not easy to do. But again, back to the first one, like the more you talk about it, the better it gets. Right. And and I love that because it doesn't have to be weird. Like we make it weird, but it doesn't yeah. have to be weird. Like sometimes you'll just say to me, like, tell me what it is that you enjoy about this, this particular thing. Like that opens the door. And even if I've been maybe a little bit shy about sharing things with you that just lets me know that it's safe to talk about it. Like, tell me what you, you seem to like that. Tell me what it is about that, that you like. Yeah. Right? That can open up a conversation. I mean, we always want to know what we're doing right. Right. Yeah. All right. So another tip is to consider maybe starting a yes, no, maybe list. Um, you've, maybe you've heard of these before. They, um, they do exist online. You could go search for a list, but basically it's just a list of possibilities, maybe different positions, maybe different ideas, different concepts. And you just go through the list and you check a box that says, yes, I'm open to trying this. No, I'm not. That's still not in the buffet of leftovers or maybe, maybe I'll consider that. And I think it's good, like, this is something that couples could do, like, when we do our annual, our kind of like you and I, we have our yep. annual trip that we do where we reevaluate our values. Like, yeah. I think this would be something great for couples to just pull the list out again and talk about it again each year to yeah. see what, maybe I'm feeling a little bit more something, something. Whatever this is, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. I do want to add a little bit more erotic something to our relationship this year. Yeah. And just keep adding novelty, you know, keep adding one or a new thing. And, and that's what you could do at your annual meeting as well. You could say, well, you know, if things change this year, you want to try something different, whatever that is. And it's up to you guys to make that decision. Because again, this is the decision between you and your partner. And, and when you continue to just dialogue and have communication around this very, very important issue, um, then you'll be able to grow closer together. Okay. And the last tip before we wrap up on just how to increase eroticism in your relationship, and this might be my favorite, is to be creative. 
and to use your imagination. Because again, we said this earlier, I want to repeat it because it's important. Your greatest, largest sex organ is actually your mind. So be playful, be creative. Maybe, you know, I could give you lots of ideas, but it's kind of more fun if you come up with them on your own. But maybe this is like acting out a fantasy. Like maybe you and your partner are going to meet at a bar and pretend that you're total strangers meeting for the first time and how you're going to hook up. And, you know, I think there's just, it's just fun when you can add that element of play and fantasy to your relationship, because there's only so many different ways that you can juxtapose body parts together and different arrangements. But there's really endless possibilities when you start using your creativity and your imagination which keeps that, like Robert talked about, like keeping the keeps those keeps that novelty going, keeps those new experiences happening. Yeah, and and the bottom line for this really is, it's absolutely okay for great sex to be a priority in your relationship. Seriously, yeah, um, relationships thrive when there's a high level of satisfaction over time. And and guess what? It all starts with you. Yeah. Satisfaction of the bedroom is a byproduct of a healthy relationship with you and your partner. So open up to your aliveness. What will be the result when you do? Well, what it will be is a life where great sex is just one of the many perks that you end up discovering. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a wrap. Yeah, I think that's it for this episode. And and thank you so much for being here. If you haven't yet, please, please consider giving us a five-star review. Drop that over in the app that you're listening to. Come over to Instagram and stay connected with us there for sure. And remember, as always, be kind to each other. Take care of each other. Put each other first. It's the small things done often that create long-lasting relationships. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Master Your Marriage. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, then we want to hear from you. Just go to MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com and send us your question. Oh, and while you're there, you can also check out our retreats and events and even apply for coaching. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get advanced notice of when the next episode drops, plus show notes and many extras. Thanks again for tuning in.